Hi guys and welcome to the Fight Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukas as always and um, yeah, a slightly lighter week this week than we anticipated because, you know, as we all know, Eubank and Ben, um, their fight fell apart. That was going to be the main event of the week. It was the biggest hype and all of that. Um, you know, to be honest, I didn't miss it. I thought it was a joke quite from the start. I'll talk about a little bit at the end um, about the, the whole situation. Um you know, um, I talked about some in my preview, and uh, it's not you know talking about the ins and outs of uh, politics and uh, drug uh, performance enhancing drug use isn't really, you know, I talk about the technical stuff mostly, but um, you know, I'll talk, I'll talk about it a little at the end. But the first thing I'm going to talk about, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the fights. That's what I'm here for. Um, you know, the ones that happened. So, so I'm going to talk about Sebastian Fundora against. Um, Carlos Ocampo. I'm going to talk about Carlos Adamas against um, Juan Matias Maciel Montiel. And I'm going to talk about um, Fernando Martinez against Joe and Ancajas, which um, the rematch of their fight back in February, I think it was, um, which, you know, ended pretty much similarly to the first one, but there's a few details to talk about in there, so, so I'll talk about that. But, you know, first things first, um, Sebastian Fedora, the towering inferno, the, the tall, lanky um, piece of stream who uh, who turns out as hard as nails, um, which I think is starting to become sort of his, his, his selling point and his, you know, his biggest strength as a fighter. Is, um, it was a thing that did annoy me. I was watching it back with a commentary from uh, Showtime and they, you know, they were acknowledging that he's a good inside fighter. And you know, it wasn't a terrible bit of commentary. You know, they were they were suggesting that uh, his work with jabbing and uh, then coming in with a left hand in behind it was quite good, which is all true, and that he can do more of that stuff and keep himself safe. But um, but there was a lot of you know, um, Ocampo wants to be inside. Um, Fandora maybe should be not letting him get in so close and all of that stuff. And it's just like, this is, it's not just where Fandora wants to be, it's where he's best. And he was clearly much better than Ocampo in there. Um, you know, yeah, it was just, uh, let's not make him into a fight. He's not, he's, he's an inside fighter. And the thing is, is, um, he is, he's really good in there because he's really fucking strong. Like this is something the commentators did point out. I can't remember which one of them did say it, but, um, but, uh, Ocampo had to be leaning on Fundora. He was really pushing in on Fundora. Um, and Fundora was just kind of casually standing there and, and Ocampo was having to off-balance himself and get really square and take all the power of his punches just to hold an equal ground. And that was just, you know, impressive. Um, that started to happen later on in the fight. Um, I should probably start talking about what happened early because Ocampo came with the right game plan, which was a little bit helped by Fundora also deciding to to actually jab at range for a little bit early on um, but I think you know that the what was happening early on really should have put pay to the idea that that's what Fandora should do because um, Fandora threw a lot of jabs early in the fight and uh, you know they didn't really do anything and when you know um, when he did Acampo was often you know he's able to jab over the top of Fandora's jab which you know when you're that much shorter than your guy and you're able to time and just casually lace your jab over the top of his jab when he throws it then he probably you know it's just not he's not that great at it and uh, yeah um, you know Fendora definitely could work on jab jab and then follow up it would be something he'll uh, it'd just be useful to him and it, it did happen a few times in the fight but you know you could see early in the fight Fendora's timing at range isn't that good and Ocampo's was better and Ocampo was winning 
you know, he won a few of the early rounds at range. You know, he wasn't staying at range. He was jab, jab, hop in, hop out, um, which is, you know, dangerous anyway. But, um, but yeah, essentially, yeah, um, Fundora isn't good at range. And Ocampo, when, when the fight stayed outside a bit, Ocampo was able to time his jab, get in over the top of the jab, get a few body shots off. That was important. Um, get a few body shots off early and then get out. And, you know, Ocampo's not that good. Like, he's a good fighter, don't get me wrong. Um, he was here, it was a good fight. It was, a, you know, nice back and forth. Um, he was by no means completely outmatched. Uh, but, um, you know, if you're talking about the top level fighters that Fundora may someday face, um, They'll take heart from seeing. They'll take a. They'll have seen things, and his their coaches will have seen things that they can work on with Fundora, um, if they can keep him on the outside. Which is a bizarre thing to say about a guy with that height advantage, but it's just true. Whereas when you get inside, um, like Fundora's hittable inside. Uh, you know the commentary wasn't wrong there. Fundora was taking shots from a campo, um, but the 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 commentary was assigning a lot of. Uh, Okay, Campo's landing on him, but it's arm punches. Uh, you know, with the sort of the implicit idea that uh, that when Fundora gets to fight someone who's not throwing arm punches, um, he'll uh, he'll get hurt more, and that's true. Like Lubin managed it a little bit, and uh, and he dropped Fundora once. And there will be guys who can, you know, I'm not saying Fundora is going to be pound for pound the best fighter in the world. There'll there'll be guys, and Charlo may be that guy. I'm not sure, but he might be. He may be able to go toe to toe with Fundora and and not be overwhelmed. But the thing is, is there is a reason why why Ocampo was getting so square and why he was turning tuning in arm punches and getting weaker by the second, you know, throughout the fight round by round. It was just pretty clear. But basically after um again, uh, as is fairly typical, I wasn't scoring around by round when I watched this, but um for, um I saw Farhood had it three three after six rounds and that's completely fair I think you know from what I did you know from seeing what was there that seemed a completely fair score and yet 3-3 three, three after six rounds and you really had very little doubt that Fandora was going to win from there because Ocampo was just by that stage already really tired and that that was because like I say Fandora is just really hard and really hard to push around you know I've said this before um, but it was just really, really obvious um, when they were going to the shoving match in the middle. Fundora knows how to set his stance. He knows how to stand. He knows how to push. He knows how to make space for himself. And Ocampo, in order to create space to punch at all, was having to really just make himself vulnerable, really lean in, really square. You know, his feet were square, trying to get to, to generate the power to push. Um, you know, he was almost turning into like <laughs> not a wrestler, but it was. You know, he was. Yeah, it wasn't a. It wasn't great for him. Um, just how much effort, how much sheer effort he had to put in to push him Fundora back, and that was true of Lubin. Like Lubin was doing it more technically and all of that, but you saw it. Um, you know, the punch that he threw to knock Fundora down was basically the last energy that he had, and after that, he basically fell apart. And here, you know, there wasn't a moment where Ocampo fell apart. He was in it to the end, and uh, and that was a bit of a controversy because um, the referee Jack Rice. Um, about the midpoint of the fight, he told Ocampo in the corner that, you know, if you don't show me something, I'm going to stop the fight. And uh, and I do understand why people got annoyed by that, because, yeah, I mean, he is in the ring, and he sees more than we do. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was concerned for the fighter. But 
I think it's unfair to say that Ocampo wasn't showing anything. And, uh, you know, I can say sitting out here, yeah, it was fairly obvious that, uh, that Fedora was going to win the fight. But, um, you know, if you were going to stop it there, then it's just really it's stopping it any time anyone takes you know takes over a fight uh, starts uh, clearly winning you know it wasn't it was a it wasn't a domination it was a clear win but it wasn't a out and out domination so I do understand why people got annoyed by Rice but at the end of the day he gave the warning and then you know nothing else uh, yeah okay Ocampo kind of really bit down after that and uh, started pushing more so it may have affected his tactics but you know it's not a big deal the other thing that Rice got stick for was a uh, was for having a go at Campos corner and for fining them for deliberately putting water on the floor so that they had to wipe it to give them more time to recover between rounds. I think that's completely fair. I think, you know, what else was he supposed to do? He could have docked points from, from Campos for that, but he didn't. He was like, this isn't fighting, this is bullshit, but uh, but you're breaking the rules and I want you fined. But that's, that's fair. You know, I don't see what else he could have really done. Maybe give him more warnings, but... Uh, but I don't see the problem there. In any case, that wasn't, you know, I don't think Rice really, I don't think Rice really affected the fight. And then so far as he did, it was because he let them fight out of the clinch and he really knew how to keep the, keep them clean in there. And uh, so, so I don't have a lot of problems with him in there. And, you know, uh, yeah, the thing about Fedora, um, you know, other than the fact that he's really strong and, uh, and really hard to push around and a bit of a tank when it comes to taking shots, is, Acampo was throwing more than Fedora. Um, I think in most rounds, maybe in all rounds, I'm not sure, but he was throwing more than Fedora. But so much of it wasn't landing, or wasn't landing clean, whereas, you know, pretty much everything Fedora landed was bouncing um, Acampo's head around. And that was because Fedora really knows he just got a really good stance inside, and so many of... Body shots basically almost impossible to land on him. Um, you know, he could find one up the middle. Campo early on did find body shots, like I say, you know, coming in. But once he got inside, um, Fedora, you know, he uses those long limbs of his, but almost all the body shots were kind of skimming, hitting the elbows and skimming off back. Or, um, you know, he had this, he had one of the arms up, the, they were sh- they were sk- skating off and going up, going off, off his shoulders and behind the head. Um, not landing behind the head, not rabbit punches. They were just missing, or they were, you know, back to the shoulders and connecting. But, uh, but, or there was sting taken off, so it was a scoring punch, but not damage. And you know that that is a lot of why when Fedora gets into a gritty fight inside, um, it's why that you have this impression of Fedora doing more damage than he's taking, even though the volume may be fairly equal. In this case, it's because Fedora knows how to, you know, he knows how to defend inside, and he knows how to take when he when shot does land, he knows how to take the sting of it. And Acampo didn't really, um, you know, he wasn't braced for it because he was having to push so hard um, to just get the equal space. He was leaning into shots a lot. The uppercut was kind of, you know, bouncing his head off the, uh, the ring lights because, you know, he was coming down onto it. You know, every time like sliding back and uh, chopping the uppercut isn't really a isn't really Fedora style. He likes to rather push off an opponent and throw it up, but he did it a couple of times in this fight and it, it worked. And, you know, if opponents are going to be coming at him like that, it's going to be something that he should probably, you know, really integrate his game, you know, slide back and uh, let your opponent fall onto the uppercut rather than being the guy pushing your opponent back and chasing the uppercut in because, um, yeah, um, that's not what Fedora likes to do. Um, 
and he's good at it and it works for him but that is a vulnerable point like Acampo did catch him a couple of times when he threw the uppercut from too far out and uh, and Acampo came over but uh, yeah there was very few exchanges in the fight especially later on um, where Acampo got the got the overriding word if you know what I mean you know he um, he didn't um, he didn't leave his mark on the exchanges like you know whenever Acampo threw something and landed something like Fundora landed more um, and yeah it was just really difficult for a captain to get anything going like he wasn't you know he wasn't terrible at making space for himself but like I say this is the thing Fandora just made him sacrifice too much to make the space for himself um, and so you see people talking about how um, you know against the top level guys Fandora's not gonna you know he's not gonna fight like he's not gonna he's gonna get punished and yeah he is like, he, he will take more shots in bigger fights um, I'm not sure Chado's a guy to you know I really want to see him fight Chano. Um Chano's problem with timing, which has never really gone away with uh, with being the guy who takes the first shot, um, is going to give Fandora a lot of advantages. But Chano is also pretty smart about finding the right moment. You know, his timing in the moment in second to second isn't good, but he's pretty good about finding the right position. Now he's pretty well rounded, so Fandora will have to be careful there and. Uh, um, you know, to keep his range, um, to keep his approaches protected, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, uh, um, you know, if Charlo, Charlo is going to be more able than anyone he's faced so far to keep it out of range. And Fedora will have to improve his distance closing and all of that kind of stuff when he reaches that kind of level. I don't really see a reason to believe that he won't, but um, yeah, um, you know, I just like Fedora. This fight wasn't as a spectacular beating as the Lubin fight. It was a probably a better fight um, and you know in some ways that's kind of a, like a roll back because Ocampo is uh, I don't think Ocampo is as good a fighter as Lubin but he is more durable more um, you know he doesn't he takes a shot better and that that was just a lot of uh, and he throws more shots like he's not he doesn't um, he doesn't he didn't get to his own head about you know um, am I going to take damage and he didn't uh, he didn't have the tactical conundrum because Acampo was never going to you know be the guy okay maybe he should have been the guy fighting a range but uh, yeah he didn't have the tactical conundrum of Lubin where Lubin knew that um, boxing from Dora and Tide was the only way he was going to really get damage um, but that's not but that's why he's good but he's vulnerable like Acampo is fine doing that uh, he's you know Acampo did decently when the fight was at range, but ultimately he is a volume throwing fighter. Um, he isn't. He doesn't have a complex about being in there. Like Lubin freaks out a bit when he's in there because he knows there's always a potential of a shot of a fighting, you know, a really damaging shot. Um, Campo didn't have that issue, and that was just a thing. He was able to stay with Fandora, match Fandora, pace to pace. And even though he was dropping off, you know, round by round, Fandora was clearly having the engine energy. Um, Campo was a good test of that for him. And yeah, Fandora just a cool fighter. Um, you know, like I say, the top of the division beckons, and I hope we see uh, we see more of him fairly soon. I, I imagine it will be next year. Now um, we're in September, so maybe we'll get a fight before Christmas, but I doubt it. Um, yeah, that's all that I really have to say about that. You know, just have a look at Fandora's entire, you know, the framing he does and all of that kind of stuff, the use of his shoulders and his arms. It's just cool. Um, the second fight on the card, well, the, the co, it wasn't the co-main, it was the, you know, 
yeah, the, the top five on the undercard was um, Carlos Adames against um, Juan Matias Mo uh, Montiel at middleweight. And uh, yeah, that turned out to be a bit of a beating. It's, um, you know, it was for an interim title and Montiel, Macias Montiel has fought um, Chano recently. So you would have thought I mean, he got, uh, he was, uh, you know, that wasn't much of a fight, I think. But um, he was in that fight and um, Adam has, uh, hadn't really been, you know, I mean, he's been a world level and sent, he fought Devaryanchenko in his last fight and he, in December, and he, he fought for a world title a few years ago at 154, but um, you know he lost that one and Derevan Jenkins had lost. But in any case, he did show that he was a level above Macias Montiel. Just uh, you know, he he knows how to defend. He's a smart pocket boxer with him. You know, he he, lo he loses concentration sometimes, but it just never became an issue for him here. Um, Macias Montiel. Um, I did mention in my preview, he gets off balance, he stands up too straight, and he's just not great defensively, and it really just... Um, he had one of these upright stances that uh, every shot that Montiel landed, um, you know, he wasn't able to move with it, uh, that Montiel took, uh, Macias Montiel took, every shot that, um, that Adamus landed in him, you know, just landed with full effect because he wasn't able to move with them at all and that included the body shots so, like, he was really he was coming in he was making him straighten up the body shots like, even more than he already was um, which is really whacking him in the body which he had no defence for and then uh, coming over the top and yeah ultimately there's just not that much to say with this fight because um, because it was too much of a shellacking yeah, the first fight was a fitting out round the second fight was a campo just kind of taking him apart and uh, you know leathering him to the body making him really uh, you know hurtful shots and coming over the top and then the third round he just kind of knocked him a bit silly he didn't actually knock him down but um but yeah um Macias Montiel was done you know he was all on wobbly legs um and uh, Adamas knows how to push like I, you know I said in my preview he knows how to throw volume when he wants to like he's kind of a slick outboxer when he needs to be but um he really knows how to bite down and go to war and throw the big combinations when he needs to and he just that's what he did um yeah there's not really a great deal to say um Acampo I you know he's cool I like him at middleweight it's not a strong division um I don't think he's going to be um I don't think it's going to be Janibek and Kanuli, but um, but he might be Charo, um, the other Charo. So, you know, he's a, he's a decent addition to a weight division that really needs decent additions because it's incredibly uh, low in upcoming talent at the moment. It's you know since uh, Golovkin is aging out, and you know technically he may come down to defend, but he's aging out, and everyone else is kind of gone. There's not really been the next generation to come into middleweight, so. Adamas is, you know, he's a nice addition in that in that division. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it's worth seeking out. Um, it's a bit of a beating, not a lot to say, like I say, but um, yeah. So the last fight on the on the main card was um was a re like I say the rematch between Fernando Martinez and German and Cass, and that was a. Uh, yeah, that was the one where I was really rooting for one fight or the other because um, I had not a lot of time for Ankahas's uh, title defense reign at Superfly. You know, he's in this great division and he was just kind of taking on the mandatories and not fighting. You know, 
seemed to be refusing to fight in the really good fighters. Um, and I can hope Martinez doesn't do the same. Maybe he will, but I can hope he doesn't. Um, yeah, the rematch. Um, I did think it was too soon for Ancahas to be rematching this. Like, um, he blamed the weight for the first one, and he, um, so I thought he, you know, he should have moved up. He, in this one, he didn't blame the weight. He said he was fine. He made weight already okay. So, um, so that was okay. But the other reason that I thought it was a bad move for him did prove itself because he made the right adjustments. And this is the thing: in the first fight, he lost because he had no, he had no other, he had no game plan other than trying to intercept Martinez as he came in. And when he couldn't do that, um, he had nothing else. And in this fight, he had more ideas he had in the first few rounds yeah, I think he won I mean he definitely won the first and I think he won the second um, so I didn't score all the way through I think the scorecards um, had it pretty wide to Martinez um, like um, to 11-1 um, and 10-2 um, I think that may have been a little bit harsh but um, you know after the first few rounds yeah Martinez was winning every round so it's probably not that harsh Um but uh, but but Ancahas had good ideas. He had um, like um, like I say, in the first fight, he was just trying to intercept Martinez, and when that didn't work, um, he folded. In this fight, there was more timing. He was more anticipating Martinez's moves and beating him to the punch. And you know, as Martinez before Martinez, I mean, rather than trying to make because that was Ancahas's game was um, waiting his opponent to come in and then generating more power by them running in. Uh, in this one, he kind of decided, okay, that clearly, I'm not benefiting from doing that. Um, so he decided to try to time it and uh, and get at, uh, get at him ahead of time, get at, Mar- um, get at Martinez ahead of time. And also when he did, when he did come at him, um, and Cajas was more ready to slide back, make him fall short and then punish him for that. It's just basically more of an outboxing game. Um, rather than just that one facet of uh, catch you as you run in, which, you know, when the opportunity came, he did try to do that. Um, and even after that, he would try to, sp- you know, he would spin out. And there were a few times when he really, you know, check hooks in play and all that kind of thing, um, where he was really matador in um, Martinez. But, and this is a thing, you see it so often, the reason immediate rematches are a bad idea when you've been specifically you know, when your game plan has come undone, when the, the thing that you like to do has come undone. They're a bad idea because learning new things in boxing takes time. By which I mean, Ankahas had good ideas, and as long as he was fresh, he was able to execute them. But the moment he started getting tired, he just didn't have that snappy instinct anymore, and they kind of started going out the window, and he ended up falling back into the old thing that he does because that's what you do when you get tired you know your muscle memory kind of takes over and what you start doing is the thing that you're really comfortable with and for for Ankahas that is catching your opponent as he comes in and then not that much else and yeah he did keep trying to do it but um, but Martinez doing what he does he didn't really need to change anything up his timing was like super. His timing, he, that, that, that was where the timing difference came in. Because like I said, the first couple of rounds, Martinez was trying to time, and Cajos Ka, um, was trying to time Martinez, and he did it quite well. But when he get tired, the timing, timing fades off. 
if you have to be concentrating on that, not fully focusing on doing the thing that you're doing, then your time is going to fade off more than if you, it's instinctual to you. And so Martinez started to take over. He also, I did think he also made a decent adjustment, which was um, essentially biding his time just a little bit more, um, just a, a little throwaway punch. And he'd, you know, the faints, not in the, you know, he wasn't fainting in the sense of throwing out fakes, but... Um, but he'd just pause. He'd make to make the move that he's going to come in, and then um, Ankahas would make, you know, try, try to stop him doing it. Um, you know, make that shot. Um, yeah, Ankahas would try to would anticipate him. You know, would try to anticipate his move and get beat him to the punch. And um, as the fight went on, Marti, uh, Martinez would allow him to throw those punches, let him beat him to the punch essentially, and then punch with him. And Ankahas struggled with that. Um, and couldn't really, you know, couldn't really deal with the pace of that happening time after time after time. And this is, ultimately, the story was, you know, the details are different. The story was the same as the first fight. It wasn't a one-sided beating. And Cajas was always in there. But he just, as the fight went on, um, similar to the main event, really, um, Martinez was doing real damage with the shots he was landing. And, and Cajas wasn't able to live up to that tempo. Just... He doesn't have that kind of... Uh, he doesn't have the same kind of power. He doesn't have the same kind of chin. Um, yeah, he was just generally better set here. But, um, but yeah, I don't think he gave himself enough time to bed in the improvements that he needed to make. And so they left him as... Yeah, that's basically the story of the fight. And Martinez is... You know, the things Martinez does are you know, pretty easy to see. He's, he's more technical than I think you might... Uh, believe at just a casual glance um, he has these really nice um, up and down movements I talked about off the first fight where you know he'll duck um, he'll duck and slip a little bit as he's coming in you know we wouldn't call it Mike Tyson but um, he throws off the timing of his opponents by by changing his level as he comes in Not, you know and by, when I say that I don't mean head body head body I mean he's crouching down as he comes in and it pops up a little bit or the other way around you know that kind of thing um, changing where his head is at which makes him slightly harder to intercept and it makes the, uh, the, uh, the angles of his punches more difficult to predict. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not a deep fighter. I don't think he's going to beat, um, you know, uh, the Bam Rodriguez with that kind of, that kind of level of fighter. I don't think he's, you know, pound for pound capable, but, you know, maybe he will be. Maybe, maybe he'll be the, um, this risk gets a wrong versailles to, to uh, Jesse Rodriguez's Chocolatito. Maybe he'll be that guy, you know. It's not impossible. Um, I don't find that particularly likely, but he has really, this is the thing, he has really nice timing and he's very fast and he's tough as nails. He has that kind of relentless to his to him. He's a very different fighter to um, Thrissa gets a wrong side, but he has that kind of relentlessness to him and, you know, never stopping and possibly, you know, even more than um, sort of strong of side in the sense that the wrong side could be backed off. But then at the same time, again, so Rungfasai has fought the elite of the elite, whereas Martinez is fighting and Cajas, um, who, all due respect, he's a good fighter. He isn't at the level of those other guys in Superfly. Um, yeah, I'm glad Martinez won, but I did come out of the fight with more respect. I mean, as a fighter, as the tough guy, um, the you know having the heart in the ring, I never, you know, I came out with respect for and Cajas in the first fight. I had more respect for him in this fight in terms of, as well as that, he did... You know, he sat down, looked at what he needed to improve and went to try to improve it. I think he made the wrong choice to come back to this fight so quickly. But um, 
but he made a game effort of making improvements. He didn't come in and just try to do the same thing all over again, even though the, you know, the temptation would be to go, okay, yeah, the fight went the same way. Mm-hmm. There were, there were details. He tried things. It didn't work. Fair play to him. He should probably move on up now into, um, Bantam. Junior Bantam. I'm getting confused with the divisions here. No, he's in Superfly, so the next division up would be Bantam. He's not beating Inoue, obviously, but um, but there are fighters, fights there for him that, you know. Would he beat um, Emmanuel Rodriguez or Shoichida? Maybe, maybe not, but uh, it's probably worth him giving him a try. You know, it's not um, it's not the same as Superfly where you're just like, mm, he was never going to beat this guy. So um, there are guys there that are, you know, around the top of the division that he's got a good shot of beating, and I think he probably should go up and give it a try. But if he wants to stick at Superfly, you know, there are fights set for him as well, and as well as you know, guys aging and that kind of thing. So, anyway, yeah, it was a decent, it was a good card, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, I haven't talked for that long about it, but it was a good card, fun fights to, you know, the main event and uh, this last one were decent watches. You know, neither were up for fight of the year, but um, but Fernando Martinez and Sebastian Fedora are both fighters to watch. You know, they're both fighters to look up when, when the next fight is. Keep an eye out if you like an action fight with a bit of craft, you know, a little bit of a subtlety, Unexpected subtlety in in between the brutality. They're both fighters to watch out for. Um, but yeah, that's that for the week. Um, there was a British card. I just didn't even really have time to look at it at all. So, so I'm not going to mention it. Um, the British card that didn't happen, obviously, um, Hubank versus Ben. I said I was going to talk about it for a little bit. Um, it really is just going to be a little bit. Like I said, I didn't like the fight in the first place. Um, the deciding factor of the fight, if it had gone ahead, and if it does go ahead, in, you know, in future, would be who is more damaged by the jump up or down in weight. They're meeting so far out of their comfort zones that the question is going to be, or would be, is Eubank going to be damaged by the weight drain more than Ben loses, you know, loses in a jumping up like the the size and um, weight disadvantage and that's just not an interesting equation to me it's not an interesting question uh you know and even if it did turn out to be a mixed fight it's because they just met in the middle of the damage done it just isn't it's not a good equation so quite frankly you know it's obviously you know not great to hear about someone popping for a for performance enhancing drug you know obviously ben claims innocence has no idea um there's also the whole family story where Chris Eubank has, you know, he was demanding it shouldn't happen before the fight, and now he's, you know, after the fight, he's kind of being. It's hard to, it's hard for him because, um, you know, he lost his other son last year, um, one of his other sons, and so he really doesn't want to see Eubank Jr. hurt. And Chris Eubank has, I think, always been sincere about his worry about brain damage in boxing, um, you know, since his uh, Michael Watson fight, uh, you know, where if you're not aware, he, um, he beat Michael Watson, but Watson came away with um, serious brain damage and, um, you know, seriously impacted his life since. So, so you, you do understand Eubank Senior's concern, but then he's come out just basically disparaging his own son and uh, getting mad at his own son for not listening to him. And it sounds, you know, not cool because it's like he's demanding that his son has, you know, He's offended that his son is doing his own thing, you know. And I, I, like I say, I don't think the thing he's doing is the right thing to do. But um, but Eubank is still kind of just coming off sour that his son has found some independence. So 
but he is grieving and worried and all of that so anyway um you know that's all aside to the main point yeah um the spectacle around the cancelling of the fight they knew he popped back in august apparently um and they kept it secret and the B- uh, the british boxing board of control um cancelled the fight because they didn't you know concerns about blah 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 but they knew and the reason it was able to go ahead still you know they could have gone ahead with it before was because um it was a VADA test a voluntary anti-doping association test not the UK anti-doping agency or whatever um, auspices they use and so it's voluntary but that being voluntary also means they don't have to stick by the results and you know Eddie Hearn made a tit of himself because um, there is plenty of video of him in the past of uh, questioning you know why even sign up to voluntary testing if you're not going to abide by it and all of that kind of thing and then he was doing everything in his power um, to make this fight happen I mean not everything in his power he did in the end say you know we're not going to try to go to another organisation or whatever but um but that was just because of the public backlash like the yeah and to be frank um yeah I think what they were trying to do was uh hope that it never came out but if it did it was so late at the time which was what happened that the B sample couldn't be tested in time um so you know I think they did this with Dylan White before um but at the end of the day um if they had tested the B sample immediately they you know if it really was a um you know some kind of mistake then they could have tested the B sample and cleared him and if not then the fight you know if you, the, the, these are the rules like you just you just made an absolute mockery of yourself Eddie and yeah people really turn on Eddie like, again this isn't the boxing uh, you know this is a technical boxing podcast I'm not going to get really into it but Eddie Hearn uh, if you're not familiar with the UK boxing scene he really does have and you know I defended Eddie Hearn and I probably would in the future because he you know even here people comparing him to Don King um, he was going to ride and die for his own fighter and I don't think he should have don't get me wrong um but he was defending his own fighter and he always does that um, but people have really turned on him for not protecting Eubank and for you know being a hypocrite which clearly he very much was like when it's his own fighter he'll be outraged and now suddenly that's okay with him that's hypocrisy that's you know he should just have some dignity man. Um, but the thing is is normally he can always talk his way out of it and this time so far he hasn't been able to you know normally he can he's, a, he's got the gift of the gab and you know the comments and tweets uh, and all of that to his media usually with people defending him you know there's someone attacking him but there's usually defense of him this at the moment just nothing like people have not liked he they don't like that he did it they don't like that uh, the way that he did it they don't like afterwards a press conference where he allowed no questions he did a interview afterwards with um ifl tv which i haven't watched but by all accounts it's you know standard ifl tv stuff um I like the way Coogan does stuff and I assume it was Coogan who did the interview not because I haven't watched it I like the way he does his stuff but um, it does involve letting the guy you know he doesn't really he, he does ask the questions but he doesn't you know he's not a hardcore interviewer he doesn't uh, chase down the answer or really confront his, his um, the interviewee the, the guy he's interviewing because that's because then he'd lose, lose access and you know I like what Coogan does but um Yes, yeah, so I'm not blaming Kuhn Cassius, so I'm not blaming IFL TV for not, you know, really nailing Eddie's ball to the wall. But normally people accept that from Eddie. They accept the IFL TV interview afterwards and the, oh, mm, mayor Carl Perl, that kind of thing. 
and it just isn't happening for him right now. So that will be interesting to see how he deals with that. But that's not really my, you know, interest as a podcaster. I'm interested in this as a boxing fan, but um, it's not the focus of what I'm talking about today. So I'm not going to go deep into it. Just ultimately, I'm not that fussed that the fight didn't happen, even though you know it was the big event of the weekend. Um, next weekend, next weekend is fucking packed. Um, yeah, there will obviously be a preview. My main preview, I, because I write for Bloody Elbow now, um, my main preview um, of the rescheduled fight between Clarissa Shield and Savannah Marshall, I'll have, I'll have a preview on Bloody Elbow. But I will also, you know, there will be a preview of all the other fights, um, which we'll work with together on the fight site. And um, there'll, be, you know, there'll be mention of that fight in there and all the other fights. And so there'll be Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall, Deontay Wilder is fighting um, I think Robert Hellenius and um, you know his return from the Tyson Fury thing and uh, and we also have another instant rematch where um, Cambosos um, George Cambosos is fighting Devin Haney again and that's another fight where you know ultimately I don't think Cambosos has enough in the toolkit to change enough in the time frame he's given himself but he gets a lot of money all of that stuff yeah okay um, so yeah, we'll talk about those fights in the preview and um, we'll be back here next week to talk about them afterwards. As always, uh, follow the fight site, um, read the fight site stuff, more stuff coming. Um, follow me at Crafty Boxing on Twitter, follow the fight site at the fight site on Twitter and, uh, you know, just read our stuff, watch our stuff, listen to our stuff, find the YouTube channel, subscribe to our Patreon, get all the behind the scenes stuff. We're reworking the Patreon slowly and but surely. Um, There'll be um there'll be new stuff. There'll be um Q and A podcasts. Uh, there'll be a new podcast. It's just all sorts of coming. Also, all sorts of stuff coming. We're planning to you know gear things up a little bit. Um, yeah, I assume if you listen to me, you're already familiar with the fight site. But if you're not, take a look. And uh, yeah, I will see you next week.